prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Dakota Fanning on The Alienist and her comfort movie, Almost Famous. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Very excited to say that we have Dakota Fanning on the show for the very first time. Another one of these guests that, while I've talked to many times over the years for my various gigs, never had the chance to chat with Dakota on the podcast. Um, She's been acting since she was, what, five or six or seven. I think she got like a Screen Actors Guild Award for I Am Sam when she was some absurdly young age. And she has never looked back. She's been acting consistently since then and really transitioned really um, admirably from kind of young child prodigy. You never know how that's going to develop, if they're going to stick with it, to um, a young woman with like an amazing um, collection of credits to her name and, and and a varied list of credits. You look back at the early works like Man on Fire and War of the Worlds and then you look at films like uh, The Runaways and she was in one of the Twilight films and then most recently she's uh, you know emerged in no less than Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and now in The Alienist, which is on TNT, entering its second uh, season, as it were. Although it's kind of a little bit self-contained. So the second iteration of The Alienist, which is currently airing on TNT. Of course, that that project stars Dakota alongside Luke Evans and Daniel Bruhl, uh, coming from, inspired by a, a, a series of best-selling books by Caleb Carr. Um, but we talk really mostly on this episode of Happy, Sad, Confused about her comfort movie, and she really chose a fantastic one. We've been talking a lot about 1999 on the podcast, but we're we're zooming way ahead to 2000. Yeah, we're really we're really moving past the 99s into another Stone Cold classic from 2000. It's almost famous. Cameron Crowe's um, autobiographical drama comedy. A road movie, rock and roll movie, coming of age story, comedy, tragic comedy. It's so many things. Um, it's filled with nostalgia and melancholy and, and just sweetness throughout. Um, and it's one of my favorite movies, and I'm so glad Dakota chose this one. She, like, immediately, when we asked her what she wanted to talk about, it was a no-brainer for her. She clearly adores this movie. And I do too. It's it's one of those movies that is very repeatable. Like you can watch it over and over again. There's so many fantastic scenes that I, I when I watched it again, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite scene. No, this is my favorite scene. So many performances that I love. I mean, if you're not familiar with Almost Famous, it is of course the story of William Miller, who is really Cameron Crowe's doppelganger. Cameron Crowe really lived this kind of lifestyle. He was a teen prodigy uh, journalist. And William Miller, played by the great Patrick Fugit, this was his film debut, it's a great performance, um, goes on the road with Stillwater. Stillwater, led by uh, Jason Lee, is the front man, but like the, the guy with all the mystique, the guy with all the, um, I don't know, the gravitational pull, is played by Billy Crudup in, in really a career highlight uh, for him. He's perfect in this in this performance, which which was actually earmarked for Brad Pitt, a much different kind of a movie, a, a great movie probably in its own right. But I'm glad Billy got the got the chance to play the role. Uh, also features Zoe Deschanel, Kate Hudson, of course, 
course, amazing, a star-making performance, if there ever was one, Francis McDormand, and the great, late Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I feel like keeps coming up on this podcast, and, and of course he does, because he's one of the, the great actors of all time. Um, it, this is a really fun deep dive with Dakota. I've always enjoyed t- my chats with Dakota Fanning. Um, funny, this like came like just a few weeks after I caught up with Elle Fanning for a different thing. Um, they're they're just you know they're both delights in their own right. So this was a, a really fun one for me, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, other than that, not much else to mention. I, I really appreciate all the nice comments for the Sam Hewen Stir Crazy, which is still up, of course. Uh, on YouTube um, and on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, that episode of my Comedy Central series seemed to really go over well with the fans, and I really appreciate all the kind comments. And, of course, don't worry, we will continue to make silly, stupid things with Sam for as long as he can stand me and I can stand him. Um, but, no, we're, we're going, you know, a little more serious today with, like, a fun but 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 real dissection of, like, a great movie um, with the great Dakota fanning. I hope you guys enjoyed this chat. And remember to check out The Alienist on TNT. Support Dakota. And remember, support Happy, Sad, Confused. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. And in the meanwhile, enjoy this chat with Dakota Fanning. Uh, Dakota Fanning on Happy, Sad, Confused. I'll take it however I can get it, even in these bizarre times. Uh, it's good to see you, my friend. It is good to see you, too. Good to see you, too. Um, so uh, a bunch to talk about. You've got The Alienist coming back on TNT. Uh, I know that was a, a, you know, a big undertaking of the second go-around. We'll get into that. But as you know, Happy, Sad, Confused has kind of changed its focus because we're trying to give people some comfort and point them towards movies that we love. And... You chose a good one, Dakota. Uh, talk, before we get to the actual choice, uh, I caught up with Elle recently. She said you guys were watching a lot of movies. Were, is this we collective as a family? Actually. We have been, yeah. Well, because there's been some things that, you know, we would be talking about and like my mom would be like, oh, I've actually never seen that, you know? And so then we'll start watching it. She's been doing like the marathons of like, watching all of Paul Thomas Anderson's right. movies from beginning to end. And she's been very methodical about her kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, we've definitely found ourselves watching uh, some old favorites. Did you, did you finish the Batman Returns puzzle? Did you finish the Top Gun a Jigsaw puzzle? Did I'm not a puzzle person. Oh, that's, like, Elle's, that's Elle's thing. Okay, I am, yes, my mom loves puzzles and Elle likes puzzles. My grandmother loves puzzles. We've all been together. I am like honestly can't think of anything I'd rather do less than like annoy myself yeah my wife started to take (laughs) up the puzzle thing and like at first it was like okay we're gonna do this together right you're like yeah sure and I lost interest so quickly it just doesn't it doesn't make me happy like it just doesn't make me feel good (laughs) no it reinforces that I don't know what I'm doing in yet another aspect of my life Uh, (laughs) um but yes I I don't know about you I've I've been watching a lot of movies not as methodical as your sister perhaps but bouncing around to some old favorites and also streaming you know shows that I've been meaning to catch up on yeah um and for the podcast as I said we've been celebrating comfort movies and it's been a joy every week every guest has been selecting a different one and they've been all of all stripes um your choice is a great one. Talk to me about why you chose what you did and, and what your selection is. So why I chose it is because when I, the it's the first title that comes to mind when I hear comfort movie. I can't tell you the amount of like Sunday scaries that this movie has worked me through. You know, like I, when I lived in New York and I lived by myself and in my apartment and like 
we've all had the mornings where you wake up and you have the like hangover anxiety and you think the world outside has somehow like turned against you and like all your friends hate you. You know what I mean? Just that, <laughs> that feeling we've all had them. And this movie um, made me feel that like everything was going to be okay. And it's almost famous. Um, and it's what I turn on when I want to, feel better or just be entertained. Like I, there are so many moments in this movie that I think about just like as an actor, as a director, like everything about it from literally the title sequence is perfect. <laughs> right, so, so, so to give a little context for, for those, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you've probably seen Almost Famous a number of times. So it's a refresh people's memory. We're actually celebrating the 20th anniversary, came out September 13th, 2000. That's a coincidence. I didn't pick it for that reason. Isn't that crazy? Like, I, you were on I the promo that. trail for Cameron Crowe, which is, they're, they're worse people to be promoing. Um, of course, written and directed by the great Cameron Crowe. And this is an intensely personal film for him. Um, very much inspired by his own life as a very young journalist for Rolling Stone. William Miller is kind of his stand-in. Um, many of the actual people that he encountered are in the film, whether it's Lester Bangs or Jan Wenner floating through. Uh, and then um, all the other folks, you know, Russell Hammond, played by Billy Crudup, they are um, sometimes amalgamations. Sometimes, you know, he said that, um, Cameron said that I think Gwen Fry uh, inspired Russell Hammond. Um, and it's just a very, it's, it's a lot of things, right? It's a coming of age story. Yeah. It's a celebration of music, which, you know, there are a lot of musicals, but there aren't a lot of movies that about why and how much we love music and how much it means to so many of us. Totally, um, it really does. It really does do that. I also think that, I mean, from the start when you meet Penny Lane and, you know, she's not a groupie, she's a Band-Aid and like just that sort of female empowerment that you see with the girls that, you know, and then that comes full circle in the end of that they really are there for the music. You yeah, know? I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's like Feruza Balk at the end is sort of opining about the new, the new ones that have come the in. New They're not ones here. They're just like, oh, about the guys. Well, they like <laughs> don't see themselves that way at all, the original girls. <laughs> so, do you remember when you first encountered this? You were a bit young when it came out, so I assume it was a little bit later. Yeah, it was a little bit later. I, I, um, well, this was one of those movies that when I, when I rewatched it last night, my mom said to me, oh, I've never seen it. And so she sat down and, and watched it with, um, with me and, and Elle watched it too. But, um, I was, I was my mom in the situation, um, years ago, I was probably in high school. I was at one of my best friend's house and her sister was talking about a moment in Almost Famous. And I was like, oh, I've never, I've never seen it. And she was like, you've never seen it and I was like no and she was like we're watching it right now you're sleeping over we're putting it in like it's happening it's all happening <laughs> and, um, so and we did so I watched it I, I watched it with them and um I think okay um so I watched it with them and uh it was everything I thought it would be and did, did mom appreciate it last night? My mom loved it. My mom loved it. My mom said, <laughs> said she's like, so it's just, you were just too young to be in this movie. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, yes, I was uh, six. I was just, I, I, I was, I was in movies, but I was definitely too young to be yeah. in, in this movie. <laughs> Not quite right. Did um... My sister worked with Cameron Crowe. So my family knows him a little bit from the We Bought a Zoo experience. Sure knows how lovely and wonderful he is. So yeah, we all, it's, it was great. 
it's funny to hear stories about him because as much as, as charming and earnest as his films are, he seems like, and I, I've met him a few times, and he, he really reads as a very soulful, passionate, sweet man who, like, if you hear about the quote-unquote auditions for this film, they weren't auditions as much as, like, hanging out for five hours and just right. sort of, like, getting to know your vibe. But you can just tell in the movie, like, everyone's physicality is so natural and so relaxed like in the you know when you can tell in a movie during like a party scene that somebody just called action and somebody started saying a line and handed yep. someone a beer there's none of that there's like such a flow it's almost like he let the camera roll for a couple of minutes and then told you know I mean I'm not that he did do that I, I don't think that he did do that sure. but that's just the energy that comes through at the start of really every scene but especially those kind of scenes with a big group of people that can feel so staged and corny if not if the actors first of all aren't so talented I mean the actors are super talented but also there must have been such a like environment of camaraderie first yes you know i think that really really comes through um well stillwater feels like a band like it feels like a real group like the the, the yeah. tension between billy's character and jason's character like there's love but there's tension you feel like they've been through it and now like jason's kind of like fed up with it all and it's just like you're coming midstream into a relationship that it's so midstream like everything is so like even when you see the beginning stuff with Francis McDormand and Michael Angarano. It's like you, it just, it comes in as just a window into people's lives. And it, it, the, the flow is so, the flow of the past and like the future is very, you know, in the present that you pop into. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the cast. We've referred to some of them, but this is one of the most exceptionally well-cast films, uh, I think, that I can think of. So like- Well, it goes back to the title sequence of Cameron Crowe writing in pencil everyone's name and everyone's name is just like, better and better and better and better. Not, not better, but you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. just like, all these people, wait, I forgot all these people. And then it's like, and finally, Philip Seymour Hoffman, the greatest actor of all time. You I know, know mic drop. Like, <laughs> it's, it's really like, what? Yeah, I mean, when you have like, you know, yeah, exactly. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Francis McDormand are like the supporting players propping up the rest of them. And they're amazing. But amazing. at the, you know, the center of it, you know, we have Patrick Fugit, who I think this was his film debut and amazing, just like, Okay. Again, soulful, earnest performance. Billy Crudup uh, as Russell, never better. Uh, Kate Hudson in like, you know, the cliche of like a star making performance, just yeah. like she, you know, really. all the cliches are true. She lights up the screen. She is just, your your eyes are drawn to her. Incendiary. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to uh, throw in all my dorky quotes. I love it. Fresh in my mind. <laughs> um, Jason Lee, I think, is so great. He's so such a He's natural so actor. He wasn't like a trained actor, but is just like just is Jeff. Um, and then yeah, like supporting people like Zoe Deschanel. Uh, I love Noah Taylor as their manager. Oh, me too. Me too. Um, Jimmy Fallon. My mom's like, has Jimmy Fallon? Because my mom was having. She was like, with Billy and Jason, and I, she was like, who are like they had they were had transformed into other. She knows who both of those. I was like. Billy Crudup, who you've met, because Ellen Elle did a movie with him. And then I was like, and Earl from My Name is Earl. Like, he's right there. <laughs> and she was like, whoa. Like, they just took on a different life for her as those people. It was very sure. I, And then she was like, has Jimmy, she was like, 
Jimmy Fallon hasn't come on the screen yet. And I was like, no, he's not. He, he's, he, he hasn't come on yet. <laughs> By the way, Jimmy Fallon, who like, I, he's self-deprecating about his own acting career. This is the best thing he's ever done. <laughs> Perfect. Um, there's so many, it's, it's so funny. Cause this is a movie and I watched it again the other day too, like filled with like these like small human moments that were either scripted or unscripted. Like one of the, the, like, you know, we always talk about like happy accidents in films. And this, this one has like one of my favorites where it's, um, it's the conversation, one of the many conversations between Patrick and Kate's characters. And they're talking about going to Morocco. Ask you me probably, again. Ask me again. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you, I'm sure you know this, the ask me again is him literally asking for another take. I know. I know. It's so good. I just, I read that because um, I'm a dork. I looked up tri IMDb trivia for the movie, because but I do that anyways. But I thought, oh, hey, I'll look up. Maybe I'll have some fun facts. And that was one of them. And I looked at it before I watched the movie again. And I was like, um, just analyzing that little yeah. exchange. And, and it took on a different meaning for me. You know, it was like, so even more sweet and endearing if it even if it had been written that way. Well, well, apparently Patrick's cop to the fact that like, no, no surprise, he had a major crush on Kate at the time. I and mean, my God, I, I don't know how you couldn't. That's like, it must've been a, a young heterosexual boy's dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny to think about, and this probably came up in the trivia you saw, and I remember this even way back when, um, the casting history of this film is kind of fascinating because Brad Pitt was Russell Hammond up until like, six weeks prior he had been attached forever developed it with Cameron so it was, it was Brad Pitt and it was Sarah Polly yeah as Penny Lane and that's a great movie too it's a different oh, movie totally. um, I know I, I saw that and I'm like you can't find a, a larger Brad Pitt fan than myself like I'm just you know like I'm I'm a big big fan <laughs> um and it's a different movie, right? It is yeah. a different, it is a different movie, I think. But I'm also interested to see that movie too, you know? Like it would have, I'm sure we would have loved it just as much, but I think Brad Pitt said like, he just didn't get it in the way yeah, that yeah. he thought he needed to get it to like realize this dream for Cameron, which I also think is such a like admirable quality in an actor to be able to humble yourself to be like, I'm not sure this one's for me. You know what I mean? Right. To be able to kind of like realize that, I think it, it says a lot about him as an actor. If that exchange is true, I don't know. That's just again what I what I read. But everything in IMDb trivia, as you know, is it, totally it, it, accurate. It, it, it's God's <laughs> word. <laughs> um, have you have you ever felt like whether pr prior to like setting foot on a set or even worse midstream, feeling like oh my god, I'm wrong for this role? Is that like Ooh. what do you do in that situation? Um, I'm lucky that I haven't. Yeah. God, but that's always the fear, I think, like getting the closest I felt like to not that, but when I, when I did first do the alienist, we didn't have all 10 scripts at the start. So, you know, when you agree to make a movie, you kind of go through each scene and there may be scenes that you're nervous about or you know are going to be like that's going to be a hard day or like that's going to be emotionally tough or like oh I'm worried that I'm not going to do that well but genuinely when you agree to do something you're kind of you have to have a base level of confidence that you can execute what has been written right and when I did the aliens for the first time and not having all the scripts I was like I remember getting like a new one and doing a table read and being like 
oh my God, what if they put something in here that like, I'm scared I can't do or so, you know what I mean? I was yeah. like, I didn't, it was a little, I didn't know what to expect when I would yeah, get- Yeah, with the turn of every page, you're like, what like, if, what if? I think that's all right, okay, I think that's all right. It's like, okay. You know, so that was kind of that feeling of, of not knowing exactly what was gonna be expected of me sure. from the beginning. And that was, what, you know, kind of the first time I had had that. Feeling. So again, connecting some of the, the stuff we're talking about, so your own experiences, uh, you did work with Brad pretty recently um so you were uh, you know he's sublime and there's only one brad pitt um what was uh how long did you shoot your stuff on once upon a time like it was like over two weeks i was yeah. there with them um you know it was we were they were at the spawn right maybe three like around there you wouldn't know that but it was it, i was i was there for a, a a chunk and um it was like that was a transcendent experience for me. Like working with Quentin Tarantino was really a dream realized for me. And um, the cherry on top was that my stuff was with Brad. <laughs> on, um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was incredible. It was, I could have, I could have, you know, stayed and done the same shot of the same scene for a month. Like that's truly how, how, great it felt to be there when you're in there for for those days is it is it a little bit of everything is it the the, the precise only tarantino dialogue is it the way he conducts a set is it the vibe of brad like all of it i mean for me it was it started out with the way that quentin conducts a set first of all it's like i never bring my phone on set but it's a no phones allowed for anyone right you know you they they stay at the checkpoint and you're you can go look, but it's not to come on set. And that, that effect was so noticeable in the way that you, everyone interacted, um, in the level of focus that everyone had. It was, and that's why I never bring my phone because it's, it's like one of the only times in my life that I don't feel beholden to it. And everyone who's important to me knows where I am my family, you know, uh, my manager, who's also one of my best friends, Brittany, you know, who's like a family member, like she knows where I am for sure. My family knows where I am. My best friends know where I am. Like what, what, why do I need this phone? You know, like I don't for safety reasons, I'm, I'm safe. So, um, it's always such a relief. I'm like, Oh, it's the only time I never think about it. And, um, so to have everybody kind of in that place automatically set a, a tone of, and I think this is Quentin's feelings, at least how he expressed them to me was like, we are so lucky to be making a movie. Like, you know what I mean? It's such a gift to be able to make a movie and it should be taken seriously and it should be respected. And um, I totally appreciate that. And I think that again, and also anytime you work with a director who has the same crew around him, I think is a, the mark of a special person that sure. people are willing to continue to give their time and their energy and their talent to someone over and over again, I think also shows, um, you know, a lot about, a lot about the, the community of, of a set. Yeah, well, it's funny. The way you talk about him is like, yeah, the way I've, I've heard other people talk about many of my favorite directors. It's like, I, you know, even I, I've, I've talked to David Fincher a couple of times in my life and he's talked about like the infamous many, many takes. And, you know, his justification is like, 
that's what we're here to do. Like, this yeah. is forever. This is like, we're not here to do anything else. <laughs> like, we're going to get it right. I, like, I also totally understand that. I mean, I've never, I've never done something where it was like the 50 take minimum, you know, that's something I've yet to check off, but <laughs> I'm down. Like, why not? You know, it's like, what yeah. I do. Yeah. What else? Like you give your time for a certain date to a certain date and like, Hey, okay, here we go. Um, okay, I've got on, off on some tangents, but that's inevitable with something like like this movie. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things I really noticed when I was watching the movie again, you know, he's such a great writer, and certainly the writing is fantastic. But this movie, especially, it's there's so many great looks. It's all about like these like these like these secret glances between each of them. It's the it's the first meeting when William thinks he's introducing Russell to Penny. Yes, and they just convey that there's a history without saying anything. I know. So good, so oh. good. I know. I like. There's that moment which I love. There's, of course, the moment where she um, asks William, where Penny asks William, what kind of beer. Right. In the moment before right. that, that's like a standalone, I think, moment in movie history. Just like that shot of her. Yes, her realizing what she's know, sadly worth so to Russell. Unbelievable. Yeah. And just says so everything about the character, like everything about the spirit of Penny. Um, and yeah, so yes, it's all it's all about those. It's all about those glances. And like when Anna Paquin is talking about the game that Russell and Penny play with each other, yes. you know, when they first, the uh, step one, like he pretends <laughs> he doesn't care. She pretends she doesn't care. You know, all of that stuff. Um, I love that. So yeah, those secret glances are are kind of everything. My, I think my favorite scene, and it's kind of similar to what we're talking about, is... Um, is the moment, and again, this gets into another subject, which is just his use of music in the film. But um, when they find out they're gonna be on the cover of Rolling Stone, yes. and, and Penny's a little bit away, and um, and it's- Leslie, it's, poor, the actress that played poor Leslie, like most hated woman, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Seriously, like, a break. No one likes Leslie, I'm sorry to say, but she did an amazing job of being Leslie. <laughs> totally, but like, I, I just love the like, it's that real big moment where Russell can either step up or doesn't, and William um, steps, steps up. And uh, as Elton John plays Mona Lisa's and, and, and Mad Hatter's. Um, do you have a favorite? I mean, the music is so great. Do you have a favorite musical moment in the film? I mean, the, there's the iconic bus moment, scene. But, yeah. Which again, uh, God's word, IMDb trivia says is Cameron's favorite moment. Whether that's true or not is her dancing in the auditorium. Um, and I think it's The Wind is playing. Um, and is that what it is? That I think so, song yeah. Is? I think so. Um, if I'm wrong, then that's embarrassing, but I think that it is. <laughs> we'll get the correct um, team is. here. It's Cat Stevens, The Wind. I'm pretty sure that it is. Yes, it's um, definitely Cat Stevens, yes. Okay, so um, that moment is so beautiful. And again, like, Kate is so transcendent in the film and like, the spirit of that character is so pure and um i think that moment any any another quiet moment but yeah. nevertheless i think a really kind of soulful moment the um yeah i think that was also like a just a pickup shot where he was like hey let's let's try this out let's let's see what this looks like and i often think sometimes about like i thought and i thought about it with that scene when i was watching it because i'm just you know I, I know how movies are made. 
sometimes I imagine scenes that are like, okay, it's supposed to be after like a gig and everybody's gone home and it's probably really late and you know, that whole thing and she's doing her dance. And I'm like, was that the first shot up that day at like 7 a.m.? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you get into like the practicalities of like, cause you've been yeah. there, you know what that's like, like. I always think about that. I'm like, was this actually really early morning when somebody's eating like a roast dinner you know was that did that take place at like 7 45 <laughs> most of the time probably yes most right. of the time it probably does just, I just six inches outside of the shot yeah because it's such a moment of like after everyone's gone and you know whatever but it probably because it was a pickup it probably was like a spur of the moment end of the day but even so that means probably the crew was like staring at their watches being like cameron seriously like hour 12 baby <laughs> or, or they're like kate dance slowly slow <laughs> depends on how it, how it went way to ruin all the beautiful moments uh thanks dakota um uh, so many other scenes i, I want to mention i love the kind of big confrontation the band has when the t-shirts arrive uh so quotable how, you know um your looks have become a problem looks have become a problem oh my god it's so funny that, that that is such a funny line. I really laughed out loud with that one. And like, I'm just one of the out of focus guys. <laughs> How can you tell? I'm like, just one of the out of focus guys. <laughs> so funny. Um, and yeah, I mean that, it, it, the way that they also do the band controversy is so not, you know, the t-shirt could have looked corny. Right. No, it and feels it like a real band t-shirt. It just yeah. looks like a real band t-shirt and like, they are just enough out of focus to get the point across without being like cartoony out of focus. Yeah, it's funny because when I was watching it again, there's only one moment in the film where I was like, oh, they, they, they tipped towards, towards cartoonish at this one moment. And I think I'm fine with it, but I could see it going either way. It's, it's when Feruza Balk is running after the bus and, and runs into the oh, pillar, right. <laughs> which I laugh right. at every time, but I'm like, eh, that's a, it's a little broad for this, but it works. Isn't that funny how we all have those little things? Yeah, no, I, I, I can see that. I can see that. Um, I, I would nominate this as one of the all-time great films for phone conversations. It struck me like it's, it's the, the hardest acting to do, by the way, like the hardest act. Again, IMDb trivia. I've heard that when Francis and Billy were, that he was actually on the phone when she was doing her side. Of how the often does that happen when you're doing a phone conversation film? How often is the actual actor there? I've, I've done it for someone once when I was little. I, I was on the other side of the phone conversation in a movie. Um, but I think it's very rare because I'm always like, it's usually somebody on their off day, you know, or like, I don't know. I would do it for somebody a thousand percent, but I'm always like, I don't, they, it's okay. Like they don't have to do it. But I think I'm going to change that. I think I'm going to say like, I do want the actor on the other end. You should. You know, yeah. like I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch my thinking on that. I think I, I, I think I deserve to have the person <laughs> on the other end of the phone. <laughs> it's fun. we're all plotting out all the stories we've heard. I mean, like, sometimes logistically it just doesn't work. Like they're sure. long gone or whatever, or working on something else, or you know, who knows. But I do think phone acting is so difficult and you should set yourself up for success. <laughs> right. Well, even like in, you know, to take it to an extreme, like not even phone acting, but you know, um, uh, when it's on your angle and the other actor's sometimes not there, um, 
you know, I've heard the good and the bad sides of it. Like again, all these like famous stories, but like the good side is a, a famous one is Jack Nicholson talked about it in a few good men. He like, did that thing. He did it every time. Yeah. He did it every time because, and he was asked why. And he's like, I love this. This is what I like. <laughs> That's something that I learned from the very beginning. And I, it's hard to pinpoint exactly who, who from, I mean, I remember, um, when I worked on hide and seek with Robert De Niro, he was first of all always there for for me and always wanted me to be there for him and um i i mean i think i just like obviously it just didn't seem like the job was done like of course i would stay you know what i mean right. but it is it is like it is so it is so important and i think you can tell sometimes when maybe the other person wasn't there like I don't know you know what I mean I, would think. Like, I, I don't know yeah. I just there's movies are about human connection and like that that like little sizzle that goes from the eye to the eye of the other actor and like when it's there and when it's right you can tell is there a you know when you look back at, at, at a very unusually um you know your career has been so unusual especially in the way it started and the way working with icons both behind the camera and in front when you when you mentioned someone like de niro like are there actors you worked with early on that you're like i would love to work with them now in this context with all the like experience i've accumulated yeah i would love to i mean i'd love to just go through them all one by one let's do one. it again <laughs> let's do it again denzel let's do them all, <laughs> all yeah, yeah. um you know but it's like i also know that working with a lot working with robert de niro is you know, uh, a once in a lifetime kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's like, um, but I would, I would love that. I would love that. I saw him recently and was, you know, like thrilled to see him. And it's always funny to, to see someone who knew you so young and thinks of you so young story of my life. You know, I remember you when you were such and such right. an age, but like, it never bothers me when it's somebody that I worked with because of course, it's like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, not a different, but I kind of, I'm a different person, you know, I am a different person. So um, it's always fun to see sort of their reaction to that. Um, totally. He's such a lovely man. But yes, I know, I would, I would, I would love to, I would love to work with, with those people again. And hopefully they would still think the same of me now. <laughs> like, what do they think I'm not terrible now? <laughs> You're okay. Don't worry. Let's give some um, arbitrary awards to Almost Famous. Best performance in this film. Which uh, actor do you want to give the award to? God, it's so hard. I think I have to give it to Kate, though. I, I, I mean, it's so hard because I could also give it to Philip Seymour Hoffman. Sure. I, you know what I'm yep. saying? Like, I could give it to Zoe Deschanel simply for when Russell comes in at the end and she's looking at him and then she like pops her hip out. You know what I mean? Totally. She's like me. You know, like she's she, that moment. We were. Like, it's. I was like, that's genius. That's a genius moment. That's Tells. a genius moment. That's why this movie is so good. She's in like five scenes, and then she does that thing, and it's like uh, you're an integral part of this movie. Um, but I do. I, I think I got to give it to Kate. So if they're, which they never will, if they started decided to do the remake of this, what's the character you want to play? Is it Penny Lane? I would, I would never, but it would be Penny Lane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess never say never, but no, I think making remaking this movie would be a catastrophic mistake. 
please no, please no. Uh, we've quoted Unless it a bunch. Cameron wanted to like turn it on its head and do some weird alternate reality version, then, you know, if he was helming it, then whatever, sure. I would, you know, do anything. Uh, an eminently quotable film, we've quoted a bunch already. Do you have a favorite line? What's the line you've quoted the most over your life, you think? Well, I'm going to start saying your looks have become a problem. <laughs> oh, that's mine, without a doubt. <laughs> I'm, I'm a thousand percent going to start saying that. But honestly, and this is in the beginning, but it's, I, I wait for it and I'm sad when it's over. When, when Mike Ingarano goes, <laughs> when he finds out how old he is, he's like, yes. 11. And she's like, well, first of all, when Francis is like, you're 11. And like waiting for his like waiting for it and then he's like 11 and then she like talks about she says something and he just goes 11 I love that I love that exchange but no I think your looks have become a problem is um I think that might be top yeah good good we're unified on that front we've mentioned about a thousand different films we haven't even mentioned like maybe the most iconic uh scene rather in the film um the uh tiny dancer on the on the bus um I get my my question was going to be what a favorite scene in the film. Uh, I guess it's two parts. What's your favorite scene? And is, is does that scene still have transcendent value for you? Because it, it's funny, it's almost become a bit of a cliche, like it's become so part of the zeitgeist, but it still works. When I watched it, it still was emotionally affecting. I do think that that is the most kind of like transcendent moment for me when I'm watching it. Like it gives me chills and I I always, I have a, one frustration with the scene and and it's just like for my own selfish reasons. Kate is about to like continue with the song and you see her like take a breath and about and then and then William Patrick Fugit is like I have to go home you know I, I I've got to get home and I'm like don't cut her off like you know what I mean like <laughs> let her have her moment let it I just want one more like one more chorus like one more bird like let it go for a little bit longer that's my only thing I'm like you cut her off you got to go home like, you know? <laughs> The selfish actor in you, I like I want one that. more moment. Like, the way it starts out, the the drummer sort of you know drumming a little bit in the air and just the, the head nod and just like knowing that that song was playing for all of them in yeah. that bus and you know seeing it start, I do love it. I, I mean, just I, I do think that it is such a standout for the movie because it, it 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 really says. Even with him cutting her off and saying he has to go home, it says that gives that tells you something about William. Yes. The way that Kate is like belting it out as Penny Lane tells you something about her. Of course, the sort of Russell in his like acid, like the throes of the tail end of the acid trip and like music bringing him out of that, music bringing them together. You yes. know, I mean, it's all of that. It's the you see how much they do love each other, how comfortable everybody is with each other. You know, it's like, it says everything. Is there a movie to program this as a double feature? What's the, what's the good back end of a double feature for Almost Famous? Wow. Jeez. I know, it's a tough one. Is it, do you go with, there, you can go with another Cam and Crow film, I suppose. You could, I, I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking... You I mean, can do a little yeah. Jerry Maguire, weirdly. Good. It's like, it is, it's, it's different, but what, what, I think what Cameron's films have, what he does so well, is like we were saying, all the characters are 
and all the actors are so good and the movie falls apart without them. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yes. Like, and they make the, it's, it's a, more of those small moments that kind of make up the thing. I don't know. I'm just, I guess I'm thinking that like Renee and Renee Zellweger and Tom Cruise, those moments, like Renee is also very transcendent in that, yes. in that movie with, yes. the, with the quiet moments and, you know. So, he knows maybe. how to. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, that's, a, that's a hard one. Yeah, you could also, I was thinking you could also, he had such an association with Billy Wilder. He did a book with Billy Wilder at the time. You could do something like The Apartment, mm -hmm. which has that kind of like comic drama that's flavor. Um, but yes, I think I, I, there's, Cameron's unique. He, he's kind of got his own flavor. And, and, and when he's hitting on all cil cylinders, those are the, the films that I love. Um, okay. All right, we should mention before I let you go, um, of course, The Alienist. That's not a Cameron Crowe project. What would The Alienist directed by Cameron Crowe look like? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's a, that is a, a trip. <laughs> but um, I know in brief, I mean, this you've come out, uh, come back with a second series and you talked about this a little bit, like at the outset, it was three scripts. You knew you were getting into like a full-fledged like mini series as it were. Um, was the trepidation gone going back uh, for a second go around? Did it feel it much different? It was. I mean, that was kind of one of the nice things about returning to something, which I haven't really done before in this way exactly you feel like you know the character so well. So you have this like real protective nature over the character and the story and like what you think is right. So I think I was able to collaborate in like a next level kind of way because I, I knew I was right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, she wouldn't say that or like this, like whatever, like whatever conversations creatively that we would all have, I felt like, properly informed having played her for 10 episodes and also like having seen the viewers response to certain things and like wanting to give the people what they want to you know you're just you're kind of armed with more information going into something a second time around so I definitely felt that have you and Elle been uh, practicing every day Nightingale do you are you off book <laughs> are you <laughs> totally ready acting every day it's like use quarantine to the advantage no <laughs> um, no we we have it but it's 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 actually, we were supposed to start, you know, a couple days, we were supposed to leave a couple days after this sort of happened. So um, while I wish this wouldn't have happened to the world and things would have gone on, you know, and, and people wouldn't be sick and dying and all of the those things, I have been trying to find silver linings yeah. and trying to find the positives. And I think more time to ruminate on a project Some it is, some people would say it's like, don't think about it, just do it. But I like the time to sit yeah. and imagine and kind of think about things. So I've been well, even if it's not, that. even if it's not in the front of the brain, if it's lingering in the back for yeah, six more exactly. months, that might help. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. That's, it's all about, as you said, silver linings in these crazy times. And um, I'm glad that, you know, the silver lining of talking about a great movie, like almost famous with you certainly won for me. Um, it's all happening, Dakota. Your looks it's have become a, your looks have become a problem. Um, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> your looks are not a problem. I don't think my looks are a problem, but I'm definitely going to tell other people that. <laughs> I, I, I hear the bells. That must mean we're out of time. I uh, think someone is trying to Skype, do a Skype check for something else, and they just oh my started God. calling. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you go. Okay. It, it was good to catch up with you, though. Okay. Good talking to you too. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. 
and so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) Ha ha ha.